right, good morning one more time. Uh, and uh, let me just say that this question is going to start us off for the day. What comes to mind when you think about your prayer life? But before we actually get to consider that question, um, I thought we ought to probably pray. Uh, we're going to be focusing on prayer today. The scripture reading today was out of Psalm 141, and it is um, just a it's, a, it's a meaningful prayer, just as you consider how David begins it. Uh, I don't have the text for you, but it's, it's, uh, you've heard it read, but he starts off, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Uh, I think there's probably many of us that our, our prayers would begin that way, maybe not with the exact same words. Uh, but prayer has been coming up in my life a lot, and I thought now that we've finished the, the study of Galatians, before we get into our next study, which is going to be the Gospel of Matthew, primarily, I'll probably be treating it more as a synoptic, uh, working through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we'll, we'll be, be uh, based in Matthew. Uh, but I, I thought, I'm going to take a break and just kind of maybe do some messages uh, on areas that I, I don't maybe otherwise get to talk about. Certainly, we'll talk about prayer during our study of Matthew as we get to uh, the Lord's, what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but as I considered uh, just my engagement in prayer, uh, as I consider the history of what prayer has meant in my life uh, over many years, as I consider the, the, the fact that we've touched on, on uh, Elijah a couple times in the last couple weeks and his simple prayer where he prayed and it, and it didn't rain for three and a half years and then he prayed and it rained. Uh, just talking about the power of prayer. Uh, and so I, I may actually do a couple messages on prayer. Today's is more, today's sermon is more kind of gearing us towards uh, what's behind the prayers that we're offering, right? And uh, so um, now I'll, I'll, so let's, let's have a word of prayer <laughs> about prayer, but also uh, I was asked before the service if I could pray for a lady, elderly lady, who's getting ready to go through surgery, uh, and uh, it doesn't sound like it's a uh, frightening surgery, but it, it's probably a fairly common surgery. But when you're older, uh, things are, it doesn't matter if it's common or not, right? It's, uh, it's still a concern. And so I'm going to lift that um, uh, woman up, to, up in prayer. Um, but I'm also going to pray for this particular message because it's talking about prayer, and I don't want to mess it up, all right? So let's, uh, let's pray for the God to direct. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to engage in a couple different aspects of your word, a couple different areas, but all focused on this idea of prayer. Father, I don't know where we are in our understanding of prayer, our practice of prayer, but Father, you do desire us to be those who would turn to you and make requests, turn to you and cry out in seeking your presence Father, there are many reasons for us to pray. But I'm thankful that your word also reveals to us why we have the ability to pray. Why can we have confidence that you hear us? And, and Lord, I pray that as we just kind of dip our toes in the water in this topic today, that you would do your work as, you, as only you can do it. And so, Father, I pray that the messenger would not get in the way of your, of your uh, word. Uh, but I pray, Lord, that even now, with this question staring us on the screen and asking this penetrating question, I pray that we would answer it honestly. 
and that we would be thoughtful as we consider your text today to see how it is that prayer is manifesting itself or not in our lives. May we depend on you for all, all the good that you have in store. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what comes to mind when you think about your prayer life? I have a couple of visuals that might, might help us. And, and the first one's kind of like two ways to look at it. Success or failure? Uh, I had to put success up there because I, I thought if I just did the failure one, everybody would be like, well, that's kind of a downer. Um, but I, my, my thought is each one of us can probably consider uh, those times where we feel like we failed in the area of prayer. I hope you've experienced some successes in your prayer life. We don't tend to often talk about those. We'll talk about others who are um, having success. We'll talk about prayer warriors. We'll talk about all kinds of different people. And, and so as we consider this, we have two ways of going when it comes to prayer, success or failure. Uh, I, I thought maybe, maybe this characterizes your prayer life. You're, you, you are characterized by mountaintop experiences when it comes to prayer. All right? I, I hope this is you, and I hope you get to experience this. I've had some mountaintop experiences in prayer. It's, it's wonderful. But I've also had this experience. Um, I don't know. Am I, I don't think I'm the only one. Anyone willing to admit it? All right. All right. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, there's that time where you just, you want to pray. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You think about Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. They couldn't, they couldn't stay awake for an Could you not pray even an hour? Uh, I'm not sure how much this man uh, did before he, before he uh, that, that, by the way, was my look in all of college, all right? That's the way I studied. I believed in osmosis, uh, and, and uh, I kid you not, there are probably still drool marks on the desks, you know, from, from my study habits, but I, I can resonate with this one, all right? But this is the picture I'd like you to consider as we go forward, and we'll end with this picture as well. It's, it's a simple picture of a present, it's not frightening. It's not mountaintop. It's not, it's not drowsiness. There's something encased in that wrapping. And by the way, I, I picked the newspaper wrapping on purpose. It's very plain. Nothing special really about it. But what's inside actually is a gift. And so what I'm asking us to consider today is that prayer is a gift from God. And so I would like you to consider that as we go through, uh, as we look at, uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Uh, uh, we, we've already looked on, uh, I mean, I think I'm still looking at Psalm 141, and David says, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice, let my prayer be set before you as incense. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. It's the idea of coming to God in prayer David is, is saying, listen, I expect God's presence when I pray. David had a confidence in his prayer that we're going to, and hope that we can manifest the same confidence in our own life. But he went to God in prayer, expecting God to answer. He said, set a guard over my mouth. So he was uh, very, he, he focused on God to begin with. He focused on his own standing and, and his practice. He said, for, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. He recognizes there's enemies out there. And he says, verse 8, but my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. 
In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. And the reason I go to this psalm a lot, and probably the reason I, I, I picked it for today is, uh, it is the prayer that I put, and I told you this before, but some of you probably not have heard it, but when I was a chaplain, this, these last verses, 9 and 10, are the ones I put in every one of the vehicles uh, of my unit in uh, Iraq. I, I, I printed it out, I taped it in there, and I had soldiers tell me that they prayed these last two verses before every convoy. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape, escape safely. I, I use those words as being the word of God pasted into a truck. I had no idea who was going to be driving it, who would be reading it. And it wasn't until the end of our deployment when this one soldier came up, chaplain, I want you to know, I prayed that every convoy, hundreds of convoys. And I thought to myself, I don't know if this person's a believer or not, but yet they were turning to the one who could answer prayer, the one who was able to hear prayer. David prayed with expectation. He prayed with confidence. We need to understand prayer is a gift from God. That's what we're going to be looking at. It's, it's special. So a gift... Just going over the kind of the, the cursory comments here, it's, it's not earned. We often come to prayer with the wrong attitude, and I'm going to try and push against your attitude of prayer. And I'm going to get ahead of my slides, and I have to stay disciplined, right? But again, it's not earned, or it's not a gift. Paul talks about this with salvation. If you can earn it, right, it's a wage. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. It's not earned. So it's an expression of love. If you receive a genuine gift. Oh, this is, this is kind of putting someone on the spot maybe. Is it anybody's birthday today? <laughs> I did not know that. All right. Happy birthday. All right. All right. I sound like Frosty the Snowman there. But that's, that's not what was not my intent. But happy birthday to you, right? I hope you will receive an expression of love today. All right. By the way, is there anybody else? Because you guys ought to get together for lunch or something if it's your birthday. All right. All right. So it's an expression of love, and we know what a gift is when we receive it in love. We know. We know it's 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 truly a gift. A gift does not need to be repaid. This is often what Christians do. If I can say this, you know, we're given a gift, and all of a sudden we're making these mental notes. Maybe even putting something in our phone and uh, a note to remind us, oh, I need to get something for that person. Listen, a, a genuine gift it doesn't need to be repaid. It's a gift. It's an expression of love. You just need to receive it with thankfulness. And, and by the way, let me just pause here, and I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm. This may be true of the other pastors. I'm not sure what gifts they might receive. But I receive many gifts from you all. And, and I don't always have the opportunity to thank you face-to-face. -face. I write a thank you note when my wife reminds me, right? Um, I'm really bad at that. And I apologize if I've ever not thanked you for a gift. But I'm, here's my shot to kind of get it all done at once. You're very giving people, and I thank you for your expressions of love, and I want to receive it as thankfulness. I believe it's a, it's a sign of a healthy relationship when there's a giving and a receiving, right? And that's what gifts do. They talk about relationship. So consider prayer as a gift from God. It's a very valuable gift, and he's giving it to you. Now, he's also giving it to us. 
And, and so corporate prayer is, is essential as well. But for our purposes today, I'm asking you, I'm trying to push against maybe your, uh, your view of prayer and asking you to make this personal individually first before we go into the corporate aspect of it. But prayer is a gift. And seeing prayer as a gift helps, helps us avoid a few things. One, it helps us avoid seeing prayer as a duty. What's a duty? Well, we know the military and all that. You have responsibilities. It's my responsibility to pray. Well, you know, growing up, it was my responsibility to take out the trash. Right? That was a responsibility. Uh, it's, it, prayer is not a duty. It is a good habit. There are good habits that we have, and certainly prayer is one of those. But I'm asking you to look, consider that prayer is a gift. It's, it's not a duty that must be performed so that God is happy with you. Just as opening up his word and saying, okay, I read my, my section, I've prayed my prayer, and then you go on with your day as if nothing has transpired in the communication that was supposed to just take place. God's word to me, my prayer in response to him. It's not a duty, although it's a great habit. It's, it's uh, uh, seeing prayer as a gift helps us avoid seeing it as a drudgery. That goes back to that, uh, that guy fell asleep, right? Maybe he had been praying for three hours. We don't know, all right? But I think often we come to prayer as if it's work. And prayer is not a work. It's a gift. It is not supposed to weigh us down. It's not supposed to bring us guilt. But when I ask that first question, how do you look at your prayer life? What are you, how do you view it? What comes to mind? Oftentimes we think failure. We think there I go again. I've read some, some interesting sections of books and articles on, on prayer, and there's some wonderful things out there encouraging us to understand. I'm using the, the, the metaphor or the analogy of a gift. But there are other things out there to help us understand. When we go to prayer, guilt should not be on the table. It should not be a motivation of the heart. It's not drudgery. Now, I was just going to say, birthdays aren't a drudgery, but for some people they are, right? And you smiled, so it's not for you, all right? So, but birthdays can be those things that are, but no, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about a gift is something that is to be enjoyed. Seeing prayer as a gift helps us avoid seeing it through the eyes of uncertainty, right? When we come to prayer, often we come and we come as defeated Christians. We come to prayer thinking, all right, well, I'll lift it up before the Lord, and just maybe he'll answer, right? I think there's a certain level of certainty we're allowed to have in prayer, and we're going to be focusing pretty much on this third part as we go through. But listen, let's look at prayer as a gift, a gift that keeps giving. I know it's a, a cliche, but no, it really does. God's mercies are new every morning, but with every prayer offered in faith, God is, is demonstrating his presence in your life. And he is growing and maturing you through your prayer life. And so enjoy it as you would enjoy your most favorite gift of all time. When we consider prayer a gift from God, then we can pray with confidence. This is, but where does our confidence come from? This is what I'm saying. This is, this is what is driving me. I kept re reading articles and all, and they all wanted to talk about, well, how, uh, how we pray, when we pray, 
What are the aspects of prayer? And I, I kept finding out, that's not what I want to talk about. That's not what I want to talk about. It's not what I want to talk about. We should talk about those things, and we'll talk about some of those things as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, and, and maybe even next week as I consider you know, how, to, how to go forward in this idea of prayer. But my, my prayer for us today is that when we go before the Lord, we can go with confidence. But it's a biblical confidence, and this is where I want to uh, consider this. We can pray with confidence because in Hebrews 4, we're going to look at Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10. So if you want to look at those, we're just going to look at a couple sections. I believe they're, they're very uh, obviously related to one another. Uh, but I want to start in Hebrews 4, 16. Right? We're looking at 14, 15, and 16. But I want to start at the end. Because it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now if we work backwards from that, in times of need... When we need mercy and grace, we can approach the throne of grace boldly. That word, come boldly, is the word for confidence. We can come confidently before the Lord. And so I don't know what's going on in your life, but that's, that's where we tend to start with our prayers. And I'm not saying that's wrong. God is allowing us to live our life, and he's allowing things into our life, and I certainly th- think that we can acknowledge the God, God's working by the things that are going on in our life. But there are times where, where we really need something from God. Um, actually, I think I had, uh, let me just think, of, I had a note to myself, actually. Um, and I think it was, uh, yeah, I don't know if this is profound or not, but it, 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 it struck me that prayer is not a petition for God to take notice. Right, this is this kind of it's not, Lord, I hope you know I'm here. Lord, I, I hope you know that I'm in need. Right? Prayer is not a petition for God to take notice. Rather, it's a petition for God to take action. When we come to prayer, we are we are asking God to make himself known. And so we're commanded to pray. We're not going to get into this, but we're commanded to pray. And, and we're supposed to pray without ceasing. We're supposed to pray all these things. But when we come to prayer, we're really asking, God, there's some, some aspect of my life that I do not have power, wisdom, understanding, whatever it might be. And I need you, you to infuse me through your word. And I need you to take action and use your power because it's beyond my ability. So when, when, when we say going backwards, in time of need, there are times when I need mercy and grace and I can come to your throne in confidence. Where is that confidence coming from? Well, we're going to build on this, all right? So when we come, when we, uh, we can pray with confidence because our prayers come before a throne characterized by grace. Now we're going forward in verse 16, just in 16 for a moment. We can have confidence because our prayers come before a throne characterized by grace. Is this not good news? Do we have to come to, often we approach our prayer from the guilt-ridden side of things. Oh, I really haven't prayed as much as I should have. Let me go ahead and do this. And, 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 and as if the throne is some place where God is going to pronounce judgment upon you in that very moment. Is judgment a part of the throne activity? Yes, but not when it comes to prayer. 
When it comes to prayer, he says, because our prayers come before the throne characterized by grace. Let us come with confidence to the throne of grace. There's two ways of taking this. It's a throne characterized by grace, or it's the throne where grace is dispensed. And I think they're both true. All right? We come to a, 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 this throne represents God. It's not saying God, but it's any, the throne that dispenses grace, that is characterized by ultimate, the, the truest sense of grace, is God's throne. We can come boldly to God's throne where he distributes grace. And we can be com- that can help us be confident in our prayer. But also because our prayers come before the God who gives mercy and grace. He doesn't just give grace. He gives mercy, right? He says, let us therefore come with confidence to the, this throne of God that we may obtain what we sorely need, mercy. One of the things that I've been wrestling with for months is, God, how can I lead this congregation in repentance. How can I... In His Word, we see the people of God come and, and, and His Word is spoken. And, and for hours, His Word is spoken and read. And, and the people corporately repent. Right? What God says, we will do. And they mean it. Now, they don't follow through completely because of the human nature. It's not to dismiss the intent of that moment. They wanted to repent. Well, listen, may we obtain mercy at the throne of grace? Yes. When you come to prayer, it's a gift. It's a gift that you can come to this throne and you request the very thing you need. Lord, I need mercy. I need your grace to help me in my time of need. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's courage. Whatever it is going on inside your heart and mind, whatever is causing you to fear something more than God, bring that to God and say, no, Lord, I, I submit my fears to you. I submit my, my failings, my sinfulness to you. And I request that you give me your mercy. I request that you'd allow me to find grace because I'm in need of help. That's what the gift of prayer does for us, to help us in our time of need when the only person, and this isn't the idea of when we've exhausted our own efforts, we turn to God. No, this is where we ought to start our day. The confidence we have to come to God's throne is based on what came in the previous verses, though. Look at this. Uh, this says, therefore, in verse 16. So now we're going to go back to 14 and 15 and look at some of what, why can we come boldly? Why can we trust God to, to do what we've just talked about doing? The confidence we have to come to God's throne is based on what we know about Jesus. There has been a prayer that I have been praying for the last month. And it's directly related to my preaching. And it's, Lord, let me keep it simple and let me tell them about Jesus. That's it. That's my new method of trying to figure out how to communicate God's word to you. I just want to keep it simple. 
And I want to tell you about Jesus. And here we're going to learn about Jesus. Because this confidence that we have uh, to come to God's throne is based on what we know about Jesus. There's a lot we know about Jesus, but we can have confidence because Jesus is the great high priest. If you want to have a wonderful study, and I, I thought about preaching through Hebrews, but I was cautioned that it might be a little deeper uh, a level of pool than I'm willing to go into right now. So we're going we're gonna to focus on Matthew to start off. But I, I, I look forward to the day where I feel confident to, to teach and preach through the book of Hebrews because it is a deep book, but it's a wonderful book. And in this book, we see that Jesus is the great high priest. It's touched on throughout the scripture, but we see in Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's already been talked about, or, and well, actually, we'll be, we've talked about more uh, as well. Seeing that we have a great high priest, not just a high priest, but the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we, are, we have already touched on verse 16 that says that we can come boldly. And here we see we're gonna, we need to hold fast our confession. I didn't highlight it, but we're going to see it again in chapter 10, this idea of holding fast. It's all talking about having confidence, not in us, but in God. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's a, a, a wonderful passage uh, for us to consider, but this is the, what the therefore is built upon. So we see that we can, we can pray with confidence because Jesus is this graced high priest, and I'm going to go ahead and just say he's also the ascended one. Oop, wrong way. He's also... Uh, we've already seen that. I'm going to go quickly through this, and I apologize because I've already read through it. He's the one who's passed through the heavens. I'm going to show them all, and then I'll talk about it. He's also the Son of God. So let's just stop here. We can pray with confidence because of Jesus and who he is. He is this high priest. What's the role of the high priest? The high priest was one of the priests. It was, it, this all deals with our ability to even approach God. This is what was driving me to understand. I don't want to just focus on how to pray or what to pray or how many times to pray or whatever. I want to talk about why can I even expect that my prayers will be heard. And it's because of Jesus. He's our great high priest. He is the one who represents us before God. The high priest and the Jewish uh, in the Jewish time, which it's, it's very well spelled out in the book of Hebrews, he would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, and he would make sacrifice for himself first and then for the people, and he would come into the Holy of Holies in the temple of God, and he would sprinkle the blood, showing the representation of the people and himself with that blood, saying a sacrifice has been made. Only once a year could, that, could a person walk into that place at that time and do that work. And if he didn't do it correctly, he paid with his life. God would strike him dead if he had anything wrong in his, in his character or anything like that. So listen, he's the great high priest. He's the one that represents us. Jesus is, amazingly, the high priest, but he's also the sacrifice that was, whose blood was brought into the, to the heavenly sanctuary, right? He, uh, uh, the author of Hebrews says he's the ascended one. He's the one that is no longer here. He's ascended from earth. He's in the presence of God. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. 
That is supposed to give us confidence, right? He's also the Son of God. You think that probably would have been good enough, right? We can have confidence because Jesus is the Son of God. But that's his status, that's his position, that's his person. But he is the one who came to do the will of God and to love us and to die in our place and to, and to be that one whose atoning sacrifice can be applied to us. But just going back, he said he's passed through the heavens, right? That was a significant event for those early church believers, was it not? To stand on the mount and to see Jesus taken away, and they're looking up, as I can imagine all of us would be like, and then the angels appeared and said, why are you looking up? The same way he left, he's going to return. And is that not good news? And so as, as I think about seeing then that we have this high priest who's, who's passed through the heavens, and who's coming again, right? This Jesus, this Son, let us hold fast our confession. Let us have confidence that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, who we have placed our faith in. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So as we go forward, we can have confidence because of who Jesus is, but we can also have confidence because Jesus is sympathetic towards us. And I had to look it up again to see the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Maybe you're an expert on those areas, but um, I'd be honest with you, I looked, and there's people confused out in in internet land. Um, They don't quite get it, but Jesus is sympathetic towards us because he is one of us. He is of the same nature as us. He is man. He is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. But some people tend to forget that Jesus is a man. And he lived on this earth. And in, in this text, sorry, in this text it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. This always frustrates me when you have a double negative. Right? I tend to read it, for we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, right? But in my reading, it says the double negative is used in Greek to emphasize the point. And we use it that way, too. But what we're we're being told here is that Jesus not only is something, right? He is someone who can sympathize with us. Sympathize is to share my, I'm just going to say, he's going to share our pain. He's going to share our discomfort. He's going to share, in because he's a, a man like us, he is aware of, the, of, of human nature, right? Perfect human nature. Remember, Adam was a man who had sinned prior to the fall. So Jesus is that, that last Adam, that one that comes on the scene, and he's fully man, but he has, he has never sinned. So we, we, we see that he's sympathetic towards us because, folks, let's remember, when he came on the scene and he was baptized, he went into the desert and he, and he went through temptations. And we're listed a few of them. Where the, the, Satan took him up to the to pinnacle of the temple and he told him, uh, took him to a different place and said, make, make that stone into bread and, and, and do this and do that. And, and Jesus said, no. And he withstood all the temptation. People struggle with... if. Jesus' ability to be to, to sin or not sin. That's not our point for this morning, although we can have that discussion another time because I think the Word of God is pretty clear about it personally. But I'm just saying, listen, as we consider Jesus, He overcame all temptations. We have a few of those listed for us. I think there was more than likely more since He was there for 40 days out in the desert. But when we think of Jesus sympathizing with us, it's because He's experienced temptation. 
like our temptation, and if I can use the vernacular, but he's, he experienced temptation on steroids. He experienced temptations like you and I have never experienced because he never broke. We know what it means to be tempted by something and then to succumb to that temptation. Th- at that point, there's no more this, any, any of the devil or any uh, 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 demon has to do. We've broken, right? We've already failed, right? Jesus withstood and never broke. Jesus is the only one who's full, who knows the full extent of temptation because he conquered it. And this is the Jesus who is this person that is that we can take confidence in. So we can, we can pray with confidence because Jesus knows our weaknesses and he's overcome them all. And so when we go to prayer, we pray in the name of Jesus, right? We pray because we know not only is he our advocate before the Father, but he, he knows and understands and is willing to dispense grace and mercy. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's a very important point for us to understand is that Jesus never sinned. And as you're telling people about Jesus, you've got to get to this point. Jesus never sinned. I asked someone, I think it was in my early days here or just before I left North Carolina, and I asked this question, did Jesus ever sin? And this is a person that went to church on a regular basis, went to worship services. And he said, well, yeah. All right? Now, we, that's a good, I'm, you don't slam a person when they say that, right? You've just gotten a, a, an, in, an insight into where their faith is and what their, what their level of maturity is. And so you take it and say, no. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet he never sinned. Because if he had ever sinned, his sacrifice on that cross wouldn't have been a sacrifice. His death on the cross would not have been a sacrifice. It would have been a payment for his sin. But since he never sinned, he died a substitutionary death, and his blood can be applied to pay for our sins. So as we we think about this, we can pray with confidence because Jesus has provided a new way to enter into God's presence. So this is where we're going to uh, jump to Hebrews chapter 10, all right? We see in Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness. That word boldness is the same word that is used in uh, 4.16. Right? We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 19, Therefore, based upon what came before, which we're not going to be able to have time to go through, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness, the holiest place, by the blood of the Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. There's so much here, but again, I'm going to try and just keep it simple. It's building upon what we've already learned in chapter 4. But we are told that we are to have this boldness to enter into the holiness. Remember at Jesus' death on the cross, there was, a, there was thundering, and the, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What veil are we talking about? It's the veil that separates the holy place from the holiest of holies. It is, the holiest of holies was the innermost part of the temple, and there was this massive veil, thick, that tore from the top to bottom. God must have 
had angels rip it from top to bottom and, and showing that, signifying that there is now entrance into this holy place that is not just one person once a year, but all people who have come to faith in Christ whenever they are in need of mercy or grace. Why do we look upon prayer as this daunting task, as this mission to be accomplished when we can simply look at it as a gift? We didn't do anything to deserve it, just like we didn't do anything to deserve salvation. Jesus died on that cross, not because of anything else besides it was the will of God executed by men. They were culpable. They were responsible. They sinned by killing him. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus' love sent him to that cross because he had to pay the debt that we could not pay. And because of what Jesus has done, we can have confidence to enter into this holy place. We don't have to walk in fear. We shouldn't walk in, you know, flippantly either. This, this, cost, uh, this cost a lot, uh, was one of my other statements I, I've been meditating on, was the idea that our ability to commune with God in prayer, it came at a great price, did it not? For our ability to come into the holiest place, cost Jesus his life, cost Jesus all that pain. But here the author of Hebrews saying, listen, therefore, brethren, brothers, sisters in Christ, having confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, it's the only way you can do it, by a new and living way. What powerful words these are. What new way? It's not the old way of the high priest sacrificing uh, an animal's blood for himself and for the people and then bringing that blood in. No, this is a new way. This is the blood of the Son of God that was shed for all men. And, and, and that blood was brought into the heavenly sanctuary. And it, it, is, it is a new thing. It, it's the fulfillment of what the earthly tabernacle pictured and the sacrifices pictured. He says this is a new, and it's a living way. There is life in Christ. It is not characterized by death anymore. Jesus is alive. He paid for it. So therefore, brethren, having boldness, confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The author of Hebrews is drawing our, our, our uh, attention to this veil that ripped in two. It was destroyed it could no longer function the way it was called to function. It was called, it was a barrier. And this gets to the heartbeat of what's driving me is to understand why can we even consider the possibility of stepping into the presence of God with our prayers? Do you know we're not the only ones who step into, who, who pray, excuse me. We're not the only one. We're not the only religion, the only faith that prays. There are other Religious groups that pray, probably more than we pray. But their prayers are not based in the blood of Jesus. Their prayers do not represent this new and living way. Their prayers are not cognizant. They're not recognizing that his, the veil of his body had to be broken. It had to be torn figuratively. Jesus Christ had to die for us to have this kind of confidence in prayer, for us to be able to come into his presence. And folks, I'm asking you to consider today, I think we treat prayer too lightly. Or we treat prayer too 
with much, too much difficulty. God is saying, prayer is a privilege. It's a gift that I've given you. Take advantage of it. Enjoy it. We can pray with confidence because we have been invited to approach God directly through Jesus. Wow. He says in verse 21, And having this high priest, that was talked about in chapter 4, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. But the, the emphasis here, it, there's a couple commands, but this is one of them. Let us draw near. Draw near to God, not out of duty, not out of any sense of obligation, but out of joy and out of response for what God has done for you. Maybe the prayer that you need to pray is the one that says, God, I recognize Jesus Christ as your son who died on that cross, who opened the way for me to even come into your presence with prayer. Maybe you need to have that initial prayer, recognizing who Jesus is, recognizing your sinfulness, and asking God for his mercy, for his grace. But maybe you're here and you pray all the time, and maybe you don't consider your prayer as a drawing near to God. What a privilege. What a joy. It says we're supposed to do it with a true heart. It's the idea of sincere. It's a sincere heart, a, an honest heart, a, a heart that is understanding all that is going on here. Not just sincerity of praying what you don't know. Well, we're talking about this kind of prayer. This prayer that is a gift from God is one that we know about. We understand the significance and how it all came to be because we're supposed to have full assurance of faith. This is not a I hope so prayer. This is the prayer of David calling out to God, saying, hear me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. When you have that kind of a prayer, pray with confidence, pray with full assurance, without questioning the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are allowed to draw near to God with sincerity because we, we have the full assurance of faith. And we have had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There's a lot more here that I'm going to tackle today. But I'm saying that we can come with this kind of confidence. We know that our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. Are you bothered by your conscience? It may be an indication that you've never come to genuine faith in Christ. There's a depth here to this, this discussion, which maybe we'll pick up on in another sermon. I'm just saying that what, what the author of Hebrews is communicating is we are able to draw near because this has happened. I believe it's the perfect tense. It's the idea. It's, it's a past event that has continuing benefits, right? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water is signifying that we have been made clean. So when we come to God in prayer... When we draw near to him, and this certainly uh, talks more than just prayer, but I'm using it, uh, this is actually a broader, chapter 4 is really focused on prayer. This one is actually saying, listen, as we approach God and whatever we're approaching God with, we can do this in full assurance because this has taken place when we came to faith in who Jesus Christ and what he is, who he is and what he has done. So we can pray with confidence because we are told we can hold fast to our confession as a result of God's faithfulness to His promise. Remember I told you, 
Come boldly before the throne of grace with boldness. And then on two different occasions, he says that we are to hold fast to our confession. And here's in verse 23, and we'll finish with here. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, not faith this time, hope, without wavering. Wow, that sounds like it takes us a lot of work. I've got to hold on to this confession. I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to work. He's saying, you can't do it in your own power. He who promised is faithful. You are called to faithfulness, but you were never called to faithfulness outside of the working of God in your life. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, this hope that we, this expectant, joyful hope that is in Christ. Without wavering, that's another aspect of saying, with confidence. We are called to have confidence in prayer. So consider prayer as a gift from God. We are able to pray with confidence. And I just want to, uh, oh, I know, I actually deleted the picture by accident. All right, there's the picture of that little present, right? That was supposed to be there. Um, that little present, insignificant little newspaper article wrapping. I'm not saying prayer is insignificant, but prayer is pretty common. And God has given it to us. I think I've made the point pretty clear by now. But how are you going to respond to this precious gift? We talk about the greatest gift being Jesus Christ, and that's certainly true. But there's this precious gift of prayer that is available for you. Don't feel guilty about it. Open it anew every morning. Open it anew every moment of the day. Because every time you step into the presence of prayer, you're proclaiming the death, burial, resurrection, and future coming of Jesus Christ because it's all based in who he is and what he's done. It's the gospel. Prayer reveals the reality of the gospel in our life. Let's enjoy it to its fullest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is a joyous thing to know that we can come into your presence. But Father, thank you for the understanding we now have through studying through Hebrews that it is not a minor thing. It's not an accidental thing. It is a purposeful thing, this giving of the gift of prayer. You desire for us to be in relationship with you. You have provided your word, so therefore you speak to us. But you have given us the invitation to step into your presence in prayer. Father, may we enjoy it from this moment forward. May we cast out the doubts and the lack of confidence that is, is shrouded through the guilt and the different ways we approach prayer. Father, may prayer become our second language that thing that we do throughout the day, audibly, quietly, with others, by ourselves. However we do it, Father, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of it, to cherish its special nature, and to embrace the truth that it proclaims, that I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and it's because of what he's done that I can have confidence not that you'll give me everything that I want, but you will care for me in everywhere, in every way that you desire. And Father, we praise you for it. 
We praise you for your care and your love and your mercy and your grace. I pray that the, the heart response of the people in this room would glorify you in their own little prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.